Welcome to Cinemaholics. Well, listeners, we've been having some fun this past week with a lot of different reviews, but Will Ashton is sadly still out of commission right now. No Will Ashton for you all. Very sad. He misses everybody. Told me he wants to say hi and make sure you're all doing well. But in the meantime, we have a wonderful guest, a Cinemaholics favorite back on the show. And I'll, I'll let her introduce herself because just the two of us, but Kimber Myers, how are you doing? Welcome back to Cinemaholics for the first time in, in a minute. It's been some months. Thank you. I am glad to be back. I feel like if I only come on every once in a while, it's just long enough for people to, to miss me when I return. So, Aunt Kimber, there you go. Um, so Kimber, uh, for the listeners, I mean, there's probably a few who don't know who you are. Very, 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 very few. But yeah, I'll let you. I'll let you explain it. Who are you? What What do you do? What's What is your story? That's very sweet. Um, I am a, a New York-based critic, and I write mostly for the Los Angeles Times. Oddly, being based in New York, uh, but makes sense to me. Yeah, I mean, you gotta gotta have people on both coasts. Um, so the LA Times and then Crooked Marquee as well. Those are my two two main outlets. That's right, and you're with us this week to talk about just one movie here. We're going to keep it focused, and we're going to do a review of the new M. Night Shyamalan movie, Old. I think that's fitting because I don't think this is a movie we would be able to just like talk about and then force ourselves to talk about another movie. I mean, I don't know how to switch gears from a movie like this one, but yeah, we'll, we'll just keep it honed in. So Old is a new psychological horror thriller film, although I, I struggle a little bit calling it straight up horror. It's a very different kind of horror than I think a lot of listeners will imagine when they hear that word. But like I said, it was written, directed, and produced by M. Night Shyamalan. This is his latest film since I believe Glass was the last one we got from him. And this movie is a little different from other ones we've gotten from him in the past. He's done adaptations before, most famously, probably, or infamously, would be The Last Airbender, which he adapted from the classic animated show. I I feel very comfortable calling it a classic. But this one is similar in the sense that it is based on a graphic novel, or they're, they're saying it's more inspired by the graphic novel because his screenplay is a little bit more original. It's not a straight-up sort of adaptation in the sense that he's just borrowing total elements from the story, just certain elements from what I can tell. And that graphic novel is called Sandcastle. It's by Pierre Oscar Levy and Frederick Peters. And I'm I'm very hesitant to give away a lot of this plot. I'll say right now that if you've been looking forward to old and you don't want to sort of learn too many details about the movie, we are going to sort of talk about things that are revealed in the trailer things that get revealed pretty early on in the film, the kind of setup for the film. And if you are not interested in learning any of those details, this might be a good time to bow out and come back and hear our thoughts after you see the film for yourself. But for now, we will keep it so that we won't spoil anything toward the ending. So if you're on the fence, you're not sure if, uh, you know, you're not getting any younger. And so you may not want to uh, dive into this this kind of film. Are, are the puns working, Kimber? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm big fan of puns. Here for it all. Okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, let's talk about this movie. It, 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 was, it was supposed to, I think it was supposed to come out uh, earlier. It was delayed because of COVID. And this has come to us from Universal. The film stars Vicky Creeps and Gal Garcia Bernal. 
uh, Eliza Scanlon, Thomason McKenzie, Alex Wolf, Abby Lee, Rufus Sewell, Ken Long, uh, quite a few more people. And the setup is that we follow this family that is traveling to this wonderful vacation destination. It is a tropical resort. We follow this married couple, uh, Vicky Creeps and Gal Garcia characters, and their two young children. And they end up on this cove with, uh, they're, they're sent there by the resort, and they're with a couple other families. And some weird things start to happen. They start to notice odd occurrences on this beach. Little things like there's this man who's been sitting on the beach for hours, and he's just staring at the ocean, and his nose is bleeding, and they don't understand why. And a dead body turns up for mysterious reasons. Uh, suddenly somebody is, you know, suffering from some kind of strange uh, hallucination or headache when they try to leave the cove. And as you can imagine, things get a little dicey from there. And we start to see these families desperately trying to escape the situation. So Kimber Myers, it's an M. Night Shyamalan movie. I've never really talked to you about M. Night Shyamalan before. Let's start there. What is your what is your baggage with Shyamalan, you know, up until this point? <laughs> um, I mean, I kind of dip in and out. I, I think he's made some really strong films. Um, obviously, The Sixth Sense is great, um, which I saw at a drive-in, which was maybe not the ideal <laughs> way to see something like that. Interesting. Yeah, but I've seen maybe like every other film and some of them, I think like the sixth sense and signs and uh, split more recently are very good. And then there, there's some real, real stinkers in there. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, um, yeah, so that's, I, I feel like a lot of people come with, with baggage to, to Shyamalan. He is, I think certainly one of the like, more well-known directors, both from these huge hits that he's made um, and also his very particular brand um, in terms of the um, the big uh, kind of huge reveals at the end of a lot of his films, um, but also the fact that he does cast himself in his films and kind of various degrees of prominence. So people know his name and know his face and uh, definitely know what they're getting into with a Shyamalan film. And, and I think that, that that holds true here. That's right. He is. And I'd say, yeah, he's pretty, he's featured pretty prominently in this movie, uh, a little bit more similar to a film like, for example, Lady in the Water, where he has a little bit more, like sometimes his, he just sort of like pops up here and there and, and some of his own films. Here, he actually has a bit of a role, but we, well, we won't give anything away there too much. But yeah, one thing I was I was curious too when I was thinking back on his most recent films was it, it feels like, and I could be missing something, but the last film I remember from him that kind of had a little bit more of this sort of return to his roots sort of storytelling because, you know, he did horror for a while, you know, he did, although he, Unbreakable was a little bit of a departure, but, you know, he became kind of world famous, right? Not just for The Sixth Sense, but for films like Signs and The Village. But then after a couple of films like The Happening, for example, he kind of moved away from those kinds of movies and he came back with The Visit um, several years ago, I think like 2015 or something like that. And I think Old is probably the most recent film that he's done that's a little bit more of this, all right, we're, we're going to, this is the kind of thing that, Shyamalan, that made Shyamalan famous, I suppose. In that sixth sense, I was just going to say in that sense, and then I added the sixth because I can't be stopped. <laughs> uh, 
what what did you think of old Kimber? And do, do you think that this one, I don't know, how do, how do you think this one compares? Or would you prefer to just sort of look at it as its own thing? Take the Shyamalan out of the recipe and just what is this movie to you? I don't know if you can take the Shyamalan out of the recipe, for, um, but I'm kind of... I think this is kind of a like mid-range film for him. I think it is profoundly silly, um, and there are a lot of issues with it. But I also had a pretty good time while watching it. I was certainly entertained, and I think there's some stuff that absolutely works in the face of other things that are that just don't, <laughs> which I can get into a little bit more detail. But um, yeah, I'm kind of middle of the road here where how did it make you feel made me feel confused and a little disoriented but <laughs> i guess similar to you i couldn't take my eyes off the screen i mean it was like okay well, well i'm in this i have to be invested right and i have to see what's going to happen next and it makes me think so much about this like little magic trick that m night Shyamalan seems to have on the industry i've seen a lot of people get frustrated that he continues to make films that are poorly received, that don't make a ton of money most of the time, or I guess some of the time I'd have to look at the numbers, but he keeps getting second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh chances with cinema. Uh, we don't have to belabor some of his big stinkers, films like After Earth, for example. I would personally say Glass, even though that seemed to click with some people, I found to be extremely tedious and uh, split as well. I just could not find myself really caring that much about. But you take an M. Night Shyamalan marketed film, and I will show you so many people who are far more interested in seeing a film like that than they are many other ones from this year. I've been sort of talking to different people. It's like, okay, so, you know, people who have been asking me, what are some movies that have been coming out? And I'm like, okay, well, let's see. We've got Snake Eyes, the G.I. Joe movie. Uh, we have a couple of indie films that I'm excited to talk about. But it just seems like, okay, but what's what's up with that M. Night Shyamalan movie? There's like that curiosity that's sort of like, I, I want to know if it's one of the good ones. And it just seems like with so few films, he's managed to sort of capture this big you know, audience that's willing to see his movies, even if they get terrible reviews. I don't know how this one is doing at the box office. I'll, I'll look at that in just a moment. But do, do you, have you seen a little bit of what I'm seeing, Kimber? Because I've talked to a few people who said they saw old this past week and their theaters were completely full. <laughs> I don't know what to make of that, honestly. Yeah, I, I went to a Friday afternoon screening and or showing and my theater was pretty full to the degree where I was not expecting it and was still maybe like in the the covid mindset of like maybe i wish you would not have chosen that seat right next to me <laughs> but mm. um but yeah like it was it was pretty packed um and it was not a prime time showing um so i think that that's like a cool thing and as it's interesting too like as we're getting back into the theaters um all of these like pre-showing videos from either the stars or the directors welcoming people back and um i have not yet reached a point where they don't make me a little verklempt each time <laughs> for having mm. not been in a theater for um like almost a year and a half but um and i think too the fact that like m night Shyamalan can show up before his movie and he's a director that people like when he shows up people know his face which there are not that many directors, I think, that a mainstream 
cinema goer is going to know on site. Um, right. And I, I do think that he has a powerful brand, as I said, in himself. And it's interesting, too. Like, this is based on, um, I think, a comic book or graphic novel series. But it's not based on a very well-known IP, um, which right. is kind of interesting compared to Snake Eyes um, in terms of what we're talking about. And obviously, like, Space Jam, which is just pure IP. But, um, <laughs> yeah, this, like... Nothing but net. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is is different, um, which I thought was, and you'll, you don't always know what, even though you know what you're in for, you don't ultimately know what that means, which I think is, is a cool experience. And it was fun seeing this with an audience. I was, um, I, I wish that there were multiple options for people who do want to see it on screening on, um, streaming or to run it on VOD, but, um, seeing it with an audience and seeing the reactions, like people were alternately like super into it or they were laughing at, um, the dialogue and the delivery are very specific in this. And I think that, and I would say both are bad, <laughs> but from these very talented actors, and I think it is an intentional choice to a certain degree from Shyamalan. So there's that's a lot of- That's what I was of, about to ask. Yeah, if, if that's yeah. what you consider, like, is this on purpose? Are we supposed to feel off balance from their words because that's the point? I think that it was intentional. Um, I which is different from me thinking that it was a good choice because I, I don't think it fully worked. Um, but it does make me maybe a little bit happier to think that this was what he opted for versus he just really is incapable of... I, I don't think necessarily working with actors has always been his strong point, although he's definitely gotten some very good performances from people over the years. Um, but this, it was like, oh, these very talented people that I've loved in other things, just delivering these lines and everything is so leaden mm -hmm. and just completely spelled out. And um, yeah, I to the degree where it was laughable and not just from me, but from like a Friday afternoon audience. It wasn't just me, the movie snob that had yeah. some issues with some of the dialogue. <laughs> I mean, I'll give you an example, Kimber, because there was a point in this movie where I was like, well, to be fair, I have turned over, I've turned to Will Ashton and I've said, can you believe I found Kimber Myers online? And he found that unbelievable. So maybe, there, maybe there's something we're missing with Shyamalan there. Maybe. You mentioned some of the performances and yeah, I, I, one thing I learned from this movie is that some actors are better at at selling Shyamalan's dialogue than others. I want to give a just big old congratulations to Alex Wolf, who yes. has a pair. We have, a, we've learned that together with him because I can't believe how Cause I was giving the film a lot of slack up until that point of like, I just think it's, it's just tough. You know, it's just, this is just some tough dialogue, but I think whatever it is, I don't think it's because Vicky Creeps or Bernal or so like, I don't think that they're bad actors whatsoever. I think they're like you said, fantastic actors, especially Rufus Sewell, who I think, um, he, you know, he's the, he's the bad guy in a night's tale. I mean, uh, man in the high castle, the, the guy, he, he's, he's a bit of a legend. If you, if you talk to me about it, but Wolf, once he shows up on the scene, it's like almost like because he grew up on Shyamalan movies, I want to say he just kind of leans into it really well. 
Um, so him and, and of course, Thomas and McKenzie, who always lovely to see her, but I wasn't quite as taken with that performance. So I don't know if it's like the wolf curve or something like that. I, I just, <laughs> I struggled with, you know, their, just their take. But I, I will say like at some point we get to the part of the movie where we are wrestling with the actors themselves having to play, let's just say versions of themselves that are very atypical, very abnormal from what a script would usually demand from you. I'm trying to trying to speak around it quite a bit. And so I do I do want to give the performance credit here because you know, this must have been an exciting screenplay to read through. Being able to look like I get to do such a unique performance here that is going to, you know, really break the norm for me. And I think that's the sort of thing that probably is what makes Shyamalan still an interesting filmmaker to the general public, which is you may not get something good, but you know you're going to get something different. And I think that is something that people, though they won't always, you know, they'll always say this, but they won't admit that for the most part, they just want a Marvel movie or a Disney movie, you know, every, every few months. It's like, yeah, I just want some, I want a safe bet, something I know that I'll like. But with Shyamalan, it's like, I probably won't like it, but there is a chance I could love it. And I think that is what this film is, you know, propositioning to a lot of people. Unfortunately, I have to say, did not love it. And I struggled a bit with this movie because it just really seemed to have something that I think Shyamalan struggles with a lot, which is the first draft syndrome, where I don't think he had people who were either willing or able to say, you need, you need to kind of redo this like entire section of the script here or this piece of dialogue isn't working or we need to do this scene again i just don't think he had that in this movie or if he did uh, they were just very unlucky you know with with how things came about because this really felt like a dialogue that just did not get like proper editing um if you you know if you ask me but We've talked a lot about dialogue. What about the actual screen, the uh, cinematography of this film and the kind of look and feel of it? The, we do have Shyamalan's kind of trademark camera style here. Lots of close-ups. Uh, there are some scenes that are, you know, twirling around a bit as we're seeing some things while other people are talking. He's kind of trying to capture this disorienting feeling. What did, what did you make of all of that stuff? Yeah, I think, too, that that's kind of an interesting thing is that when you put it up against a lot of the, for example, as you said, Marvel films, where most of them, with a few exceptions, obviously, Ragnarok um, in particular, but most of them, there's not a clear directorial stamp in terms of the style and how it looks. They very intentionally look pretty similar. Um, but this, you can absolutely tell that there is someone behind the camera um, who has a very specific thing to say, even if you're not someone who is a film nerd you can say like oh he's you know showing us this scene from this person's point of view or he's doing this very specific pan not to reveal information that he still wants to hold close to the vest at this point and um so like i think that that's interesting that there is like a very specific visual style that sets him apart and is very clear here and i think works in a lot of ways, especially as he tries to, in multiple moments in this, delay the, the big reveal, um, whether it's through, like, focus or 
shooting over someone's back versus showing them from the front or um, doing the opposite and showing someone's reaction to something um, versus the actual thing that we are um, either dreading or excited to see, depending on how gnarly you like uh, you like your PG-13 horror. Um, but yeah, I, I, I liked a lot of it. There were some moments where I just kind of rolled my eyes that I was like, <laughs> mm-hmm. kind of had the same reaction that you did to the dialogue and saying like, did no one give him feedback on this? And it kind of in that way felt like um, some of the Netflix films have felt where you have a big director and it feels like they're not getting any notes, Um, which like, obviously I I think it's ideal where you have someone who's talented, who is able to um, have final cut, have um, real authority over their film. But I think that there is also value Um, in whatever you do in getting feedback and responding to it, even if you don't necessarily take it. And I don't know if that was present here or if he's just like, I spent some of my own money on this. I'm going to do what I want. So if I can, if I can bring it into the, cause I've, you know, I've written books and stuff. Right. And I've (laughs) learned very quickly and thoroughly that it doesn't matter how talented you are as a writer or I'm going to assume it's it's very similar to directing because I would consider directing to be a far, far more difficult task considering the range of talents and skills you have to have. So I always respect directors who are able to make movies because, you know, you can't say that Shyamalan is not a skilled filmmaker. That is ridiculous. I think that he works extremely hard and he has really great ideas. And I think even the most talented people, like you kind of mentioned Netflix, I think uh, a lot of people love The Irishman, for example, and Scorsese, we we couldn't say enough good things about him to, to fill up the, the amount of time we have on this show right now. But even I, I see a movie like The Irishman, and I, I see sort of that even very talented people sometimes need a little bit of, you know, a creative set of limitations in order to just get you know critical feedback because when you create something when you put something out there how it looks in your head and everything that you imagine works for you but other people you have to allow other people to kind of come in and point out things that you don't catch and so that's my struggle is when i it feels like a movie just doesn't seem to have that system because i think there is this romanticization of well yeah but you know i want an auteur film i want the director's vision to come out and my take is that I think that, you know, you, 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 what we do too, you know, and one of the ways <laughs> to get that vision across, you know, accurately and in the best way possible is in the same way if you're writing a book is you have beta readers, you have critique partners, you have people who are helping you sort of shape that book so that it does accurately reflect what works in your head. So that's my whole take on that. And I, I want to give Shyamalan a little bit of, you know, credit here, um, for just some of the world building he does in this movie, I feel a little bit bad, Kimber, because it was such it was a layup. I could have started this whole thing with Kimber. What is or I, not even that? I would have said, "Hello, what is your name and occupation?" And that would have been perfect. <laughs> um, I literally did that, but using other words. So I apologize for for missing that. Um, <laughs> that was actually like one of my problems with the film um, was so as as you just alluded to. Um, so one of the kids um, asks everyone who he encounters at the resort, what is your name and what is your profession? And it's like very cute, like a very kid thing. Um, precocious. 
Yes. Um, very adorable. And that child actor uh, was uh, the, the young boy. Let me see if I can grab his name. Um, he was very good, I thought. Um, precocious in a believable way. Um, Nolan River is his name. Um, he was great. Um, but not that this was necessarily ever going to be a character-driven film, um, but all of the characterization of every single person on the screen is entirely due to their occupation. Um, so like, um, a woman who shows up, who is a psychologist brings in psychobabble to every conversation and Vicky Creep's character works at a museum and that's everything she is in her dialogue. And Garcia Bernal's character is, um, an actuary. And so he has all of these statistics and that is literally every single thing about their character on screen is related to what they do, which obviously is intentional and I think kind of goes alongside the choices in dialogue and performance of creating this world that is not really the real world. Um, But it also, to me, just felt like turning someone's career into who they essentially are. Are, which I think is both an antiquated idea as well as like not one that feels true in general. But yeah, so that was just one more thing where I was just like, all right, we get that the psychologist is going to come in here and like assess the situation and the various personalities and like, great. But hmm. that also didn't work for me. But see, that's interesting. I had a very different take. I, I thought for some of these characters, I think that's the case. I think for like the psychologist for sure. But my takeaway was I felt like their professions were almost like an afterthought because at one point Vicky creeps, his character is like, Oh yeah, I do this for a living. And I was like, really? Oh, okay. And you know, it gets brought up a few times, but I'm just like, I don't know. I think with some of the characters, um, particularly Bernal, I think he, you know, he, like you said, he's like an actuary and he gets like one or two scenes where that comes into play. And, uh, I think other than that, I, I, I don't know, I guess I, I got a different, sort of vibe from some of these characters of like, it wasn't really their profession defining them, but I think some of the side characters, that was definitely the case. I felt like that was all there was to them. And I, 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 it was frustrating to see some of these characters who were supposed to be very intelligent and very smart. I think maybe in the heat of the situation, just doing really odd confounding things. There, there are points where they're like, well, you know, we, we can't do this because that'll never work. And then they're sort of like, well, let's try it anyway. And I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know, this, this movie set up its own rules and then it just sort of let the characters ignore the rules. And that was one of the most annoying things. But the thing I, you know, I'll say real quick, I, I do appreciate that Shyamalan, he, he had an interesting idea here. It's like a good concept. It's a good setup. And, um, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of speak to you a little bit of like what that setup is. So if you don't want to know and even, you know, any of that sort of thing, then don't continue on. But the whole idea, right. Is that all of these people are on this cove and it's a problem solving situation because they realize they're aging extremely quickly. And so the kids are turning into teenagers and the adults don't really notice it at first, but they're slowly like getting more wrinkles and everything. And the entire time they, they start to notice that the, you know, person who are, they think it's the person who dropped them off is sort of like watching them. And it's just like, 
obvious metaphor, right? It's like it feels like Shyamalan quite literally standing on a cliffside, just putting a bunch of characters, like a bunch of action figures with like, you know, trading card stats, you know, and putting them in this place and just being like, okay, go nuts, figure out, you know, what you're going to do, what's going to happen. And I think where this movie fails for me is that all of the, the like, what are we going to do about this? The problem solving and everything like that. None of it is very smart. Uh, a lot of it is like, I don't know. It's, I, I think it could have been helped by some of these characters using some of their skills to try things. They could still fail, but it was frustrating to see them just attempt very poorly thought out escape plans because then it was just misery because you're just watching these characters flail around. And then of course, all of the, you know, expected fighting and issues start to happen. And that's when I was kind of checking out of this movie. That's when I figured out that, okay, this didn't feel like a really well-planned sort of exercise in let's see what happens with humans in a way that is going to click with people. It just sort of ended up being a a bit of a free-for-all, I guess, in terms of ideas and like what these characters are up to. Yeah, there is a lot there. <laughs> um, like I felt like, like there are a ton of big scenes and there's just a lot, there are a lot of characters and a lot going on and it feels at once overstuffed and, and underdeveloped in a lot of ways in terms of its ideas. And um, yeah, I wanted it to be, it's neither like pure popcorn, nor is it a like thoughtful thriller or horror film. It's kind of in the middle and I think it doesn't really succeed at either. I guess that is our, our cue to give our final grades here. It's a tough film to talk about because on the one hand, I want to praise a film for the things that it gets right. And it's not like this film is a big old mess. It's not the happening for sure. It's not a movie that is so bad. It's fun to watch. It's not that sort of thing. I don't think, but I do think there are people who might have a good time watching it, but you kind of touched on it earlier. This might be a better film to enjoy if it's a low risk, if you don't spend the money that you would on a movie theater ticket. Although of course, if you want to support, you know, your local movie theater and you want to do that, you know, you're going to watch this film eventually by all means. But if you really want to make sure that you're going to go to the theater and watch a film that you're a little bit more confident that you're going to have a great time or maybe at least a, an above average time, uh, you may want to be careful with this one. I think though, it is a, an easy one to recommend for streaming once it is available on streaming and you like some of Shyamalan's movies maybe you have watched the trailer and you find the the the, in, the concept of it interesting and you might want to know more but if you are not a fan of kind of some of his more bendy movies this does have the kind of usual twist and I think that with a, like with a lot of his other films it just doesn't quite work it, it's not really a twist that really holds up under any scrutiny. It might, it might fool you in the moment because you're watching and it's, you know, that's the magic of the cinema. But once you're kind of in our position where you don't have to like look back and be like, well, that's impossible. Uh, like there's, that raises a lot of questions that aren't going to be answered. And I, I think, yeah, the suspension of disbelief is definitely going to vary for different moviegoers. For me, I really did not come away from this film feeling like I really got anything out of it. I think a lot of the things that Shyamalan is saying about human beings in this movie and what we go through, none of it really connects. There is an emotional journey. There is an intriguing setup, 
But ultimately, I think by the time you get to the end, none of it really is cohesive. You know, I don't, I don't look at the journey of these characters and, you know, the things that happen and what they go through really clicking with this idea, the solid idea of getting old and aging and that sort of emotional sort of uh, undercurrent of this movie. So for me, I give it a C plus competent movie for some people it'll work but uh definitely definitely i'm cautious to readily recommend it to people who are looking for something a little bit more competent um, than that so what about you kimber yeah i feel similarly like i think that it it really is trying to say something about aging and humanity and all of that while not actually seeming to have any comprehension of how humans behave (laughs) which uh just did not work for me i also had the thought i was like i'm having a good time here as dumb as this is but you know even (laughs) I'm, i'm fully vaccinated while i was sitting in the theater and i was just like if this is the movie where I catch COVID, I'm going to be so mad at myself. <laughs> like, what, what a dumb movie. <laughs> but uh, no. Uh, so yeah, I would say like a, a C minus. Like I, I don't think it's a total waste um, of either like film or your time, but definitely not, um, not really worth like a special trip if you're not interested in, um, Shyamalan is a filmmaker or whatever but like yeah there there are certainly better films both in theaters as well as obviously at at home to to experience and um but he he went big um and I do have to give him credit for that like this is a film with just it's doing a lot I wasn't even though it has some pacing issues I was never really bored um so yeah c minus all right. Well, that is old. A C plus for me, a C minus for Kimber. It sounds like this movie's, you know, it came to us like a bus promising us a trip to the beach and we're both politely saying, no, thank you. Um, I think we're, <laughs> we're going to pass. Uh, <laughs> uh, the film is now playing in movie theaters, I believe wide release right now. I don't know how many theaters, but uh, probably several thousand. And uh, critics are pretty mixed on this one, as you can likely expect. Uh, it's Rotten Tomatoes rating has been a little bit all over the place i think it's usually in the 50s so i think it's still settling as more critics add their reviews but if you are interested to see it in theaters for yourself just know it is 108 minutes long not a very long watch and i do have those box office numbers i promised Uh, so far it has made 23 million dollars which is very very strong for a film not based on you know, well-known intellectual property and a film that uh, these are just Friday and Saturday or Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I should say. Uh, That is very strong. That is, I think, double what In the Heights made its first weekend, which uh, you hate to see it. (laughs) But what are you going to do? And with no big stars. Like, I think this is a cast or is the cast is just packed with talented people but none of them really are like the big box office draws either so i do think like the curves that we're grading this on in terms of like relatively unknown ip not any like a-list stars in the cast um as well as obviously during a pandemic like it being number one at the box office and bring bringing home what it did i think is like it's, it's nothing to to be ashamed of that's right. Shyamalan will keep making movies because, you know, I meant I 
forgot to mention this. I mean, he's been getting more chances, but we should say I, I should have been more fair. He has been, and you alluded to it, he's been paying for a lot of it. You know, he's been financing a lot of his films because Hollywood has sort of been like, ooh, we don't know about you. Um, so apologies for not making that a little bit clearer uh, earlier in the show. And yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, not an A-list cast, but certainly familiar faces. And I think that that's usually what we get with these kinds of horror movies. It makes sense because... You know, you don't really need a, you know, ex- an expensive contract with a very charismatic A-list movie star to sell a movie like this. People want to go, they want to see it. And if bad things happen to the cast, they don't want it to be to like Chris Pratt, you know, because that's his brand, right? He's got to, <laughs> you know, he's got to like train the beach to, you know, help him escape or something weird like that. But anyway, that is old. <laughs> uh, hope, hope some of you who check it out enjoy it more than us. But before we go, Kimber Myers, um, anything you want to plug this week uh, and at any destination for people who are curious, uh, you know, is there a website, for example, where you write sentences that they can read <laughs> in different sittings? Um, <laughs> yes. So um, everything I think is ag- aggregated under my name on Rotten Tomatoes um, across both the LA Times and Crooked Marquee. Um, I wrote a review last week of a great dance documentary called Can You Bring It for the LA Times, uh, which I recommend uh, both the film and my review. So yeah, check both of those out. Perfection. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Be sure to subscribe to Cinemaholics on your favorite podcast app of choice or find us on YouTube. See you all next time.